Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we are continuing our all 32 NFL team previews for the upcoming 2023 fantasy football season. Today, we are continuing our stop in the NFC West by discussing the Seattle Seahawks, who are in a very interesting situation given that they kind of came out of nowhere last year to be a really good offense. They drafted a really good offensive player in the draft. It's going to definitely shift some things with how targets are allocated and how snaps are allocated in this offense. So there's going to be a lot of information here in this episode that will help you determine who to target from this Seattle offense and when to target players from this Seattle offense in your redraft dynasty and best ball leagues for the 2023 season. Now, remember, if you're listening to the audio form on you or on Spotify app or wherever else you get your podcast, please rate and review. It really helps me out a lot. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit the like button. Please subscribe. We're going to be talking a little bit about best ball drafts here in this episode. Um, so if you find yourself interested in playing best ball, I recommend doing so on underdog. Um, you can use my promo code mconley 88 to get your first deposit matched up to $100. Um, you can find that in the YouTube description. You can also find it pinned to my Twitter at Mike's Money Picks. Also, the full ranks and draft guide for all 32 NFL teams are available on my Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. Only $3 a month, much cheaper than buying a magazine or subscribing to any other premium fancy site, and it'll help you prepare for your drafts. All right, that does it for the introduction. Let's go ahead and get started with the Seattle Seahawks preview. But first, a quick word from our friends at Spotify. In 2022, Seattle surprised everybody by being a good NFL team when, on paper, you could argue that they had one of the worst quarterback situations in the league at the start of last season. You know, kind of looking at it in the preseason, it was just Drew Locke and Geno Smith and Kind of a lot of people thought Drew Locke was going to end up starting, myself included. But Geno Smith took over the starting job and ran with it. And hey, everybody wrote him off. He ain't right back. That's what he says, right? So in 2022, Seattle ranked 12th in total yards and 9th in total points in the league. They were 22nd in the NFL in rush rate, meaning that you can always inverse that. They were 11th in the league in pass rate. They were a very pass-heavy offense. And this was a absolute career renaissance from Geno Smith. Geno Smith has not been a productive NFL player in his career, to say the least, and he was really good last season. They also got standout seasons from two rookie offensive linemen, Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, and Kenneth Walker III as a rookie running back was a standout. Um, And then Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator, it was his second year as an NFL offensive coordinator. It was much better than the first, which now gives us a much more clear picture as to how he is going to call plays, how he is going to group personnel, and how he's going to run things for this Seattle offense. So, looking at the quarterback position specifically, Geno Smith last year finished as QB5 overall and QB8 in fantasy points per game, which is utterly crazy. Like, he beat out Justin Herbert, he beat out Lamar Jackson, he beat out Justin Fields, he beat out Russell Wilson. Like, there's just all kinds of relevant names that Geno Smith beat out as a fantasy option last season. Now, it was also Geno Smith's first season starting more than four games since 2014. And last season, it was a total of 18.5 fantasy points per game for Geno, which outscored any of his previous seasons as a starter by over five fantasy points. And this was due large part to the passing volume that the Seattle offense had. Geno ranked ninth in pass attempts and seventh in air yards. So not only was he throwing, but he was throwing pretty deep down the field. So 
Gino, if you look at his week-by-week basis and kind of evaluate him as a best ball option, he had four top five weekly finishes and seven top 10 weekly finishes and only spent one week outside the top 20 quarterbacks, meaning Geno Smith gave you a few ceiling weeks, gave you some steady performances, and only gave you one week where he was an absolute dud. That makes him a very appealing option in best ball for me. However, more on that in a second. Geno Smith last year did have an excessively high touchdown total. And he also had a large number of interceptable passes that were not intercepted. And when you just look at kind of the game scripts that Seattle had, they were trailing for a lot of the games that they were playing. Even though they ended up winning, they spent a lot of time trailing. And so there was very positive game flow. We just mentioned the high touchdown total. We just mentioned the large number of interceptable passes. All of those stats, if you look for a little bit of regression in them, it would mean that last season Geno Smith finished as quarterback 16 in expected fantasy points per game. So as great as he was last year, not to take anything away from him, you can definitely expect a little bit of regression from Geno Smith when it comes to fantasy scoring. So here's the bottom line for Geno Smith for 2023. His career year that he had last year is going to be awfully hard to repeat in 2023. Think about also NFL defenses watch a lot of film. They've now had an entire offense, or I'm sorry, an entire offseason to study Geno Smith and his role in this Seattle Seahawks offense. I don't think he's going to catch the league off guard next year. Everybody is going to be ready for him. Now, the quarterback position, I mentioned this a few times on a few teams already. Quarterback position is very crowded this year. There's a lot of really solid options. And as crowded as it is, Geno is a very high upside quarterback but he's better drafted as a backup in season-long redraft and best ball fantasy leagues. However, I personally really like him in best ball this year because I think he's really easy to pair up with one or two of his wide receivers. I think he is a guy that is still going to give you ceiling weeks. This team is going to get in shootouts against teams, and he's going to give you really good production in those shootout games. And, I, and so I think he's going to give you a few ceiling weeks. I think he's you know easy to stack. I, I think there's a lot of positives for Geno Smith when it comes to best ball. So I would have him a little bit higher in best ball, but... In redraft leagues for 2023, Geno Smith is my quarterback 16 heading into next season. All right, so let's switch it up. Let's go ahead and talk about some running backs. And there are two of them that are worth talking about. So at the running back position for Seattle last year, we got to talk first about Rashad Penny. So Rashad Penny was very good in 2021. That's a typo on my PowerPoint if you're watching on YouTube. He averaged 12.2 fantasy points per game in the 2021 season, which was good for running back 23 in 2021. Last season, he only played five games before he got injured, and he averaged 10.4 fantasy points per game in those five games. In those five games, Rashad Penny scored 52 total fantasy points, 28.7 of which were scored in one game, which was his only top 30 finish in the five games that he was active. So at the start of the season, Rashad Penny was the primary Seattle running back, and he was scoring 10.4 fantasy points per game. Now, after he got injured, well, backtrack. Before Penny got injured, Kenneth Walker was the backup running back. He was averaging five carries, two targets, and 4.3 fantasy points per game. In those games, Walker never eclipsed a 40% snap share, and was never below 50% snap share in a game that he finished after Rashad Penny got injured. So there's a tale of two seasons for this Seattle backfield. There was Penny and Walker, and then there was just Walker. 
And so Kenneth Walker really took the reins of this running back room after Rashad Penny got injured in week five. Kenneth Walker finished the season as running back 18 overall and running back 16 in fantasy points per game. And that was with being pretty much useless for the first few weeks of the season. So if you extrapolate it to just the weeks after Rashad Penny got hurt, Kenneth Walker finished his running back 11 from week five to week 18. However, this is not a story about Penny and Walker. This is a story about Walker fending off everybody else because Rashad Penny is no longer in Seattle, but there are still some other guys there. So after Penny's injury in week five, Kenneth Walker totaled three top 10 weekly finishes, two of which were top five, and never finished below running back 27 in a game that he finished. He did leave a game early in which he finished much worse than 27. So Kenneth Walker was giving you not only a very high ceiling with the two top five performances, but he was giving you a very high floor as well, never finishing below 27th in a week. Now, he also was not the Seahawks' primary pass catching back either. Travis Homer recorded one top 30 finish while Rashad Penny was out with his primary use as a pass catcher. And Kenneth Walker, if you look at his workload as a whole, even with the reduced workload when Rashad Penny was active, Walker still finished the season 16th in snap share, 13th in opportunity share, and 19th in weighted opportunities. So Kenneth Walker still got a boatload of opportunities last season, even with the weeks with Rashad Penny in the lineup. Now, here's where I mentioned how Walker was not the primary pass catching back. He was only targeted 34 times in all last season. And the Seahawks targeted DJ Dallas and Travis Homer, a combined 38 targets. And Seattle just, this Shane Waldron offense, it doesn't really seem to lend itself to targeting the running backs a whole lot. Um, DJ Dallas, Travis Homer, 38 combined. Kenneth Walker, 34. Not a lot, right? We've mentioned how Austin Eckler already had about 100, if I remember correctly. Seattle targeted running backs at the sixth lowest rate in the NFL. And then Seattle also this season drafted Zach Charbonnet in the second round of the NFL draft. Zach Charbonnet previously at Michigan and then transferring to UCLA for his final two years is not a pass catching back either. He is a very much between the tackles workhorse type running back, which is weird because that's kind of what Kenneth Walker is. And so what you're going to end up with at the running back position for Seattle is that with the lack of pass catching upside and the overall volume of pass plays, this Seattle backfield cannot sustain two fantasy relevant running backs with how this offense is currently constructed. It could not in weeks one through five when Penny and Walker were active. It, it, the numbers bear that out. But now you've got Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet in the same backfield, and neither of them catch passes. And they're going to be competing with each other for the same type of work because they're the same type of player. So to me, Walker and Charbonnet are an either-or proposition. If you draft one of them, you better hope that that's the guy. Like if you draft Walker, you better hope that Charbonnet is just not up to stuff, doesn't eat into the carries that he got last year, and everything's all hunky-dory. If you draft Charbonnet, you better hope that either A, Walker gets hurt, or B, Charbonnet is just a significantly better runner than Walker. Because if they're both on the field at the same time, neither of them are going to be super productive in fantasy. That is my viewpoint of this situation. And so, 
with Walker being the incumbent and kind of having the head start in one productive NFL season under his belt, Kenneth Walker comes in as my running back 20 heading into next season. Zach Charbonnet comes in as running back 38 heading into next season. Now, does that mean that I expect Zach Charbonnet to finish exactly as running back 38? No, it does not. If Zach Charbonnet takes over the lead in this offense, could he finish as a top 10 running back? Yes. Kenneth Walker showed the ability to do that last season. Can Kenneth Walker finish as a top 10 running back? Yes. But while they're both there and both healthy and both not catching passes, I can't rate either of them higher than 20th. What I do find interesting is that Charbonnet is a little bigger than Kenneth Walker. He graded out a little bit more um, athletic than Kenneth Walker coming out of college. So could Charbonnet be the guy that steals the show and you know ends up with a top 15, top 20 season? Yes, absolutely. But while they're both there, I just can't rank them any higher than where they're at. So Kenneth Walker is my running back 20. Zach Charbonnet is my running back 38. If you're drafting in best ball, I would probably not draft these two guys together simply because I just don't think that there's really a whole lot there for you if you draft both of them together. Like You're not going to ever have a week where you're going to use both of them. And what's more likely to happen is that you just kind of just get middling performances by both of them every week. I would not be a fan of that strategy. I would hedge my bets on one or the other. So the wide receiver room in Seattle is crowded, like very crowded. Like I'm talking elevator at a 30-story hotel crowded. Tyler Lockett last season finished as wide receiver 13 overall and wide receiver 16 in fantasy points per game, whereas DK Metcalf finished as wide receiver 16 overall and wide receiver 24 in fantasy points per game. The third wheel last year was Marquise Goodwin. He popped for two weekly top 10 finishes, but failed to record another week better than wide receiver 30 and finished as wide receiver 80 overall. Now, in terms of kind of the crowdedness of this room, the Seahawks finished eight weeks with two top 25 receivers and had one week where all three receivers, Lockett, Metcalf, and Goodwin, were in the top 17 fantasy wide receivers. So on a week-to-week basis, can this offense support multiple starting caliber fantasy wide receivers? Yes, yes, it can. Now, Tyra Lockett ranked 26th in the league last year with a 22.8% target share, and a high touchdown total means that he was only wide receiver 28 in expected fantasy points per game. So you're looking at a situation where Tyra Lockett was the one that kind of had the fluky year last season. DK Metcalf had a 25.5% target share last year, which was higher than Lockett's, ranking 18th in the league, and had a low touchdown total, meaning that if you regress those numbers a little bit, he ranked as wide receiver 18 in fantasy points per game. Now, Seattle also drafted Jackson Smith and Jigba out of Ohio State in the first round of the draft. Y'all, Jackson Smith and Jigba was really good at Ohio State. In an offense with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba was the starting slot, and he outproduced both of them, arguably. So, like, this guy is the real deal. He's a quality wide receiver. He is going to play in the slot, and he is going to take targets from DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. The question is, how much targets? And how would that make Lockett and Metcalf's numbers look if he is taking targets? So, a little bit of simple math here. For Jackson Smith and Jigba to attain a target share of 20%, he would need to take all of Marquise Goodwin's targets, 10%, all of Dwayne Eskridge's targets, their second or their fourth wide receiver, 4%. And then maybe I could see an argument for stealing some of the secondary and tertiary tight ends as well, but that's beside the point. 
If he gets those 14%, he would need to steal a combined 6% of Metcalf and Lockett, which is not like super unsustainable. That would put all three wide receivers at around 20%, with DK Metcalf being a little bit in the lead. So I think that's absolutely an attainable number. Now, the question is, would a 20% target share be enough to be a productive fantasy wide receiver? Yeah, but probably not to the same level that Metcalf and Lockett were last season. It's highly unlikely that they finish with three top 30 fantasy wide receivers. Y'all, I did the research, and I could not find a team in the last three years that finished with three top 30 fantasy wide receivers. So I could keep looking back, but in the modern NFL, it's very hard to do that because not only do these guys have to be good because they have to kind of command enough targets to be, you know, top 30, but they also have to be spread out enough that all three of them can get the top 30. It's a very difficult proposition. Now, all three of these guys are currently being drafted near top 30-ish. So the bottom line is that right now, these guys have three real good real-life wide receivers, but it's going to be difficult for all three of them to be good fantasy wide receivers. As of right now, DK Metcalf is my wide receiver 15. Tower Lockett is my wide receiver 31. Jackson Smith and Jigba is my wide receiver 32. I am probably higher on DK Metcalf than I could be, but that is by virtue of I really don't like wide receiver 16 through 24-ish. I, I think that's kind of the dead zone for wide receiver this year. I think there's a lot of guys in that range that you can get at a later round and end up with the same caliber of a player. And so he's kind of like the start of that tier, if I'm being totally honest. And I have Lockett and Smith and Jigba so close because I think those are the two guys that are going to be most directly competing with each other. Lockett played a lot out of the slot last season, and Jigba is going to be the slot this season. And I think DK Metcalf's targets, kind of, you know, the contested catches, the, you know, the go routes, the curl routes, kind of the, the big body possession wide receiver that also can be a deep threat with speed. That's not Jackson Smith and Jigba's game. Jackson Smith and Jigba is a little agile guy who does still have deep speed. So I don't think he's going to steal a whole lot of work from DK Metcalf. I think it's much more likely that he steals work from Tower Lockett. So for that reason, I have Lockett sitting at 31, Jackson Smith and Jigba sitting at 32. All right, let's go ahead and get to our last position. Let's talk tight ends. So Seattle deceptively used the tight end position a lot last season. They ranked seventh in the league in target rate to tight ends last season, due in a large part to high usage of 12 personnel. They had two tight ends on the field a lot. And I really think the reason for that is because they didn't trust their third and fourth wide receivers. They would just stick an extra tight end out there, or they would just stick Noah Fant out in the slot. And I don't think that's going to be the case this year because they drafted Jackson Smith and Jig, but they kind of fixed that problem. Now, three Seahawks tight ends finished in the top 40 in fantasy at the position, and all three of them did record at least one weekly top 10 finish. It was kind of interesting to see the fact that they did use three tight ends last season. Like, not a whole lot of teams did that. Now, heading into next year, we got to talk about Noah Fant. So Noah Fant led the tight end room in production last season for Seattle and finished his tight end 17 overall and tight end 23 in fantasy points per game. Noah Fant was not top 20 in the league among tight ends in total targets, target share, air yards, or snap share. That's like all of the important receiving stats that I care about. And he was not top 20 in any of them. He was also tied for 12th in touchdowns with four on the season. Those four touchdowns really helped him get to his fantasy point total, if I'm being totally honest. 
Will Disley was Seattle's second tight end, and he equaled Fant with three weekly top 10 finishes and finished his tight end 28 overall and in fantasy points per game. Disley also did not rank in the top 20 in any major receiving category, targets, target share, air yards, or snap share. So really hard to buy into any of the Seattle tight ends. And the bottom line for this position is that the rival of Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to not only steal targets away from some of these guys, but it's going to steal snaps away from the Seattle tight end room because they're going to be running two tight end personnel a lot less because they're going to want to get these three dynamic wide receivers on the field. The cumulative production of the tight end room in 2022 from Seattle, I do not expect to repeat. Noah Fant is barely on my radar. He is my tight end 29 heading into next season. He is a super late round flyer in a deep league or a dynasty league. He is a last round pick in a best ball league if you want to stack up Geno Smith. That's all I see Noah Fant as heading into 2023. All right, that does it for the Seattle Seahawks 2023 fantasy football preview. If you've gotten this far, please like and subscribe. Really helps me out a lot. If you heard me talk about best ball and you want to try it out, go ahead and get on underdog. Use my promo code mconley 88 to get your first deposit matched up to $100. And if you liked what I have to say about these guys, you can check out my full ranks and my full draft guide on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. All right, that does it for this episode, guys. Thank you guys for watching or listening to this point. Hopefully, I was able to give you guys some information that can help you out with drafting the Seahawks in redraft dynasty and best ball leagues. We are continuing the tour with our next episode on the LA Rams. Thank you guys for watching and listening. I will see you next time.